Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Samuel, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise. Well, these are interesting times that we're living in, but it will be well. God is with us. He will never leave us. He will never fail us. He will never forsake us. Faithful is he who has promised. These are truths that need to get deep down within our heart. Now, in the middle of the night last night, one of our staff sent me the statistics of all the people that are watching us from around the world. And, and you know, it just shocks me. Would you like me just to share with you and give a shout out to some folks this morning? Philippines, of course, United States, United Arab Emirates, Saudi, Canada, India, Australia, Qatar, Japan, Singapore, Hong Kong, United Kingdom, Kuwait, Ghana, Malaysia, Taiwan, Pakistan, Brazil, Indonesia, Italy, Thailand, New Zealand, Nigeria, Bangladesh, Burma, South Korea, Bahrain, Germany, Israel, Cambodia, China, Spain, Jordan, Iraq, Norway, Ireland, Vietnam, France, Oman, South Africa, Macau, Papua New Guinea, Sierra Leone, Sweden, Greenland, Nepal, Uganda, Egypt, and Switzerland. It's just amazing to me how people have tied into us. And you know who most of these people are? There are Kababayan that are scattered across the world right now. My friends, what a beautiful, beautiful honor that you give me to allow me to come into your home every morning during these troubled days and just, just read the Bible to you and have devotions with you. Father, I lift to you the hearts of my brothers and sisters right now this morning. Lord, let your presence come down within their homes. Let your presence come down within their homes, Father, right now. Let the love of God surround them and protect them. Let your faithfulness be a shield. No sickness, no disease shall come near those homes in the name of Jesus. And Father, in these difficult days, I thank you for miraculous provision. Our families, Father, there's, they live with no work, no pay. But Lord, let them see an opportunity. Give them eyes to see and ears to hear, like our brother who's selling a thousand loaves of bread a week right now, like our brother who's doing laminating of these quarantine passes. Let them see an opportunity and then bless the work of their hands and let this be a time of abundance and not a time of need. Lord, our needs are not met according to the stuff of this world, but according to your riches and glory through Christ Jesus. So Lord, we call home right now a call to heaven. Let your provision flow to your people, Father. Let your strength flow to your people, Father. And Lord, for all of our frontliners, Lord, in the name of Jesus, you promised in your word that your angel would be given charge concerning them and would guard them in their way. Let that angel stand between them and that coronavirus every place they go. As everybody goes out, Lord, and that one member of the family leaves home to go buy food every day, let your shield be on them, Father. Let the angels protect them, Father. I thank you, Father. We don't want to lose a single one of those that has been entrusted to us. But Lord, we can't do that. That's up to you. Let your hand, let your sovereign hand rest upon your people. Let your gracious hand rest upon your people. And Father, we've got brothers and sisters today that they can't get out to get their maintenance medicines. Father, in the name of Jesus, just let your hand rest upon their bodies and let this be a time of healing, Father. 
Let this be a time of strengthening, Father. And Lord, we speak to fear and we break it off of every household this morning in Jesus' name. We break that fear in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, every morning we start with Psalms 91. I just love to pray. I got to be careful because when I pray, one of the reasons I don't like to pray so much publicly is because I open my heart to God. To me, prayer is the most beautiful thing that we could ever do. And sometimes you listen to the public prayers that are recitations of eloquence and very little heart. I, I've never been able to do that. I've always believed that God is listening. And I've got this incredible opportunity to talk to the Father in Jesus' name. Please, never, never worry about what it sounds like to anybody else. Let your heart be heard by God. Remember, he knows the thoughts of our hearts. So just let your heart be heard by the Father. Psalms 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I like that. God's so close to me, his shadow is touching me. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. Did you hear that? There's no need for fear. He will deliver you from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of night or the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. You will not fear these things, my friends. This is a choice. I will not fear. Do you remember what Job said? What I feared has come upon me. Sometimes you just have to make a choice. I will not be afraid of the coronavirus. I don't fear death. Jesus lived and died on a cross and rose again to set me free from the fear of death. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Did you hear that? It won't come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. <laughs> no coronavirus shall come near your house. No coronavirus shall come near your condo. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Those are the great and precious promises of your God in the midst of this storm that is sweeping the earth, beloved. You are loved of God. Now, can I just ask you this morning as we continue devotions, please, worship is never about going to watch a concert and being entertained. Worship is not spectator. Basketball is spectator. Uh, 
A Lady Gaga concert is spectator, but worship, ah, worship, you put your heart in it. So would you stand with me and lift your heart upon your hands and let's worship him this morning.
Oh, I miss you guys so much. Standing in the middle of the congregation and lifting our hearts in worship. We're going to be doing that again soon. Now, many of you ask me about what are we going to do on Good Friday, Pastor, if we're still in lockdown? Well, I'm going to have Brother Jong edit together some versions of School of the Cross, maybe not nine hours of teaching, but put together a big bulk of teaching to get the essence of it, and we'll put it out on Good Friday. But my prayer is that this quarantine will be lifted by Easter Sunday, and we can we can gather together and celebrate the resurrection life that Jesus has for us. And I want you to already begin to pray that way and anticipate in that way. And you know, think about because we haven't gotten dressed up, all right? You know, we're running around in our house clothes. Think about getting all dressed up for that day and just coming into God's house and we're going to have a great celebration together. Now, I want to remind you of something as you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 37. I want you to remember that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is the temple of God. And I know that right now we're confined to quarters, so to speak. We're like military men who are confined to quarters. And we can't go out. And it's really easy, you know, to let things slide. Now, if you were raised like me, and I think we were all raised the same way, when you get home, you take off your good clothes, you put on your house clothes, you put on your shorts, you put on your slippers, you know, and you save your good clothes so you don't ruin them, especially when you have a house full of dogs like we have. But you know what? We're being home every day. We're wearing our house clothes every day. But that doesn't mean that we need to let ourselves go. Now, I know we can't go to haircuts, and I know we can't do the beauty parlors, and we can't go get the fingers and toes and things like that done. But you know what? You can take care of yourself. Guys, smell good for your wife, okay? I'll, I'll just slide that one in there for you. Smell good for your wife, guys. You can take a bath every day and smell good for your wife and your kids. Sometimes, guys, you know, we're, we're guys and we ah, I don't need a bath. Yeah, you do. Okay. Let's take care of the temple of the Holy Spirit during these days. All right. Just a little thing to slide in there today because we're all going through this together. Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 37. Now, this is a very familiar passage. You hear me use it a lot in healing crusades because it contains one of the greatest truths of healing, one of the greatest roadblocks of healing that there is. On the next day, when they had gone down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. Notice people came to him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he's my only child. You can hear the desperation in his voice. And behold, the spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. You know, shatters him, just, just breaks him in pieces. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long will I be with you and bear with you? Now, let's just back up the bus a little bit. I begged your disciples to cast it out. Now, my friends, when we put this with the other stories of the same one, they came and he said, I, I looked to your disciples to do this and they couldn't do it. I call this misplaced faith. The illustration I always use in healing crusades is if, if your child has a, a ruptured appendix and you take your child to the hospital and you run through the door and you meet a man and you hand him your child and say, please, my child is in pain. Would you do surgery? And the guy looks at you and says, you're in the right place, but you have the wrong person. I am a janitor. The surgeon 
is over there. Oftentimes people come to me and they're looking to me to heal people. And I tell them, you're in the right place. God is here. He's walking among us. But you've got the wrong person. I'm just the janitor. I'm just a pastor. The one who is the healer is Jesus. My friends, if you need healing today, too often in people's desperation, they, they look to a man of God rather than looking to God. They look to a pastor, to a shepherd, rather than looking to the great shepherd. Now, brothers and sisters, I, I know that there are people that want you to put their faith in them, but please, never misplace your faith. Your faith is always in God. Your faith is never in a person. We, we can't do anything. Now, if you'll have faith in God, maybe God will flow something through us, one of the gifts of healing, a, a gift of power, a gift of faith will flow through us by the Spirit, and God can use us. But we're still not the source. We're only a conduit. The source is God. So I, I challenge you, don't, don't, don't put faith in Jesus' disciples. Put faith in Jesus. And then look at Jesus. One of the things that you should study one day is how he described his generation. He said, you're a faithless and a twisted generation. You got everything twisted up. You got everything confused. How long am I to be with you and bear with you? So Jesus said, you know, sometimes this gets a little burdensome to put up with. Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. Now, that demon didn't want to see Jesus. Now, there are some demons that would come right up to Jesus inside the person. In fact, they would approach. But this one didn't want to see Jesus. Threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. Now, take that piece by piece. He rebuked the unclean spirit. Now, this is a type of demon spirits. There are spirits that are spirits of, of well, there's lots of demon spirits. We won't get into that today. But this was an unclean spirit. Now, Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit. You don't sit and have a conversation. You rebuke them and command them to come out. But notice what Jesus did second. He healed the boy. See, sometimes demons manifest by hurting the physical body and destroying the physical body. They're like the, they're like the devil. They only come to steal, kill, and destroy. So here this demon had hurt this child, shattered this child. Other, uh, other sections of the same story in the other Gospels throws the child into the fire. This child had been through a lot of physical damage. So Jesus did not just cast the demon out. Jesus healed the boy. Now, I like that. Jesus dealt with the source of the problems, and then he dealt with the symptoms of the problems. He dealt with what had been done in the boy's body. He didn't leave the boy reminders of the demonic possession. He healed the boy. Let me say that again. He healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. Now that's a fascinating statement. This great crowd of people were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. Now, they're hearing the astonishment at the majesty of God. They're hearing the accolades and the praises of the people. But Jesus said, excuse me, I know everything that you're hearing shouted. I know everything people are saying, but let these words, not the words of, of 
all of the accolades and the praise. Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them, so they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Now, I want you to notice something about the heart of Jesus. He was never misled by the praises of men. He was never misled by the, the, the worship of man and all the wonderful words that men said. He, he, he never bought into the illusion of popularity. He didn't play to the popularity of the crowds. He didn't play to please the crowds. He, he knew these people were fickle. He knew that the same people that would cry out, hail Hosanna on, on Palm Sunday, would cry out, crucify him later in the week. He understood the fickleness of the hearts of people. So he told his disciples, uh, let these words sink into your hearts. I challenge you today, brothers and sisters. Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. The Bible is very clear, we will never be popular with the world. Be careful when you're listening to words of praise. Never allow the illusion of popularity to come into your life. Always let these words sink into your heart. Verse 46, an argument arose among them. Who was the them? The twelve. As to which of them was the greatest? <laughs> now remember, th these aren't mature apostles of God yet. These are what we call baby preachers. And this is what I call a baby preacher mistake. Now, how can you know these things, Pastor? Because I was a baby preacher once, and now I'm 63 years old. I'm not, I wouldn't say a mature preacher yet, but I'm, I'm starting to get in a little bit of that direction, I pray in Jesus' name. But when pastors are young, pastors make stupid statements, okay? Me too. When pastors are young, when they're baby preachers, they argue about which one is the greatest, who's the best preacher, who could do the greatest miracles, who's seen the greatest sign and wonder, who operates in the gifts of the Spirit more. Pride and arrogance. Now, you know what? These men went out and changed the world. They grew. Sometimes when you look at baby preachers among us, because if we're going to open all these churches across the country, we have to recognize we're going to train a lot of preachers. That means we're going to have a lot of baby preachers. That means we're going to have a lot of baby preacher mistakes. And those among us who are mature, well, you know what? You, you, help, you help raise the preachers. You help develop these young people because they're going to go out and change the world if Jesus tarries. But you know what? When they're young, <laughs> they make foolish statements. Which among us is the greatest? But Jesus, knowing the reason of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side. And he said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So he said, hey guys, don't you understand? Everything that has happened, everything, every accomplishment of the ministry has been because those people received you, and because they received you, they received me. And because they received me, they received the Father, the one who sent me. So there's a flow of the supernatural that comes. They didn't receive you because of you. They received you because of who you represented. And as they tied into who you represented, there was a flow of the supernatural that came to their lives. See, so, so guys, you know, quit thinking that this is all about you. He said, understand, this is all about how the people perceive you. Do they perceive you? 
as someone who is, is there to represent God. Because if they do, they receive you and they receive me. And because they receive me, they receive the Father who sent me. There's this beautiful flow of miracles and supernatural from the throne. For he who is the least among you all is the one who is great. Now, we had to leave that with a load and we'll be preaching all day on that one. Instead of arguing who's greatest, in other words, be the servant. He who is the least, he who serves all is the greatest of all is the short form of that. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow us. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. Now, there's a beautiful truth. This is a mistake that we often make. And again, this is a what I call a baby preacher mistake. Yes, there are people that are out doing ministry, and they haven't paid the same price you have paid. They have not left everything and followed him. Now, that's between them and God. Okay? You guys, you left everything and followed me. These other people didn't leave everything and follow me. Maybe they left nothing. They haven't paid the same price you have paid. But they're using your name, Jesus. Yes, leave it alone. Don't, don't, don't go fight with this. These people will not be against you. Oh. Oh, these people will not be against me. Okay. So in other words, Jesus is not validating um, that it's all right not to pay the price and follow in the ministry. He, he's not validating that. He's just saying, these people are not going to be against you. So, okay, there's a little less opposition in life. Now, again, some of you, you, you watch people and they're, they're preaching in the name of Jesus and they're praying for the sick in the name of Jesus, but they've never left everything and followed Jesus. They've never paid the price of the call. Now, personally, I wouldn't follow a preacher like that, but I'm not going to fight with him. I'm not going to oppose him because this person will not be against me. Ah, they may not be paying the same price as me, but at least they're not going to fight with me. Verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, there's a great truth there. As you approach the end of a goal, it requires more determination. Let me say that again. As you approach the completion of a goal, as you approach finishing something, it takes more determination. Many times over the years, you've heard me say, the hardest thing to do is to start, and the second hardest thing to do is to finish, and maybe it's the other way around. Maybe the second hardest is to start, and the hardest is to finish. That last 5%. That's why people don't finish things. They don't paint their house. They don't, they don't put the outside up yet. The last little part of a goal is finishing. And so Jesus, as he approaches the goal of his death, the die on a cross, he sets his face to go to Jerusalem. He, he changes his focus. He gets very determined. And he sent his messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him. Now, notice, he sent his disciples, but they didn't receive him. In other words, they pushed the disciples away. Remember earlier, they received you, they received me. He sent messengers ahead, but they did not receive him. Because his face was set to Jerusalem. Now, 
they did not receive the presence of Jesus because of bigotry, because of prejudice. Now, let me read the rest of it, then let me talk about it for a minute. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, the sons of thunder, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Now, maybe the most painful thing in ministry is when people do not receive you because of bigotry. This was a Samaritan village. Jesus was a Jew on his way to Jerusalem, and they did not receive him. Bigotry, prejudice, stopped the flow of ministry. One of the reasons I became close to Pastor Dag in Ghana is in one of the first times that we sat down and really had a conversation. Now, we'd known each other for years. We'd had dinner together uh, in, in CGI dinners, and I'd known Josh since he was a young boy. They, they've always been lovely people. But one day he and I talked, and we opened our hearts to one another in Kuala Lumpur, standing in the middle of a lobby of a hotel. And he began to tell me, he said, you know, there's a lot of people who won't accept me because... I'm half white and I'm half black, and blacks don't like me because I'm not black enough, and whites don't like me because I'm not white enough. And I looked at him and I laughed and I said, we're going to get along great. You and I both live in between worlds. i got a white skin and a Filipino insides. We understand bigotry and prejudice. And we, we shared some stories about some of the things that we had been through together. Now, now brothers and sisters, it, it will amaze you. There are people that will come and they will not attend COP because I'm white. You know what? I can't help it. I wasn't cooked enough. I mean, please, we can make all the jokes we want. I can't help my outsides. In fact, but if you look in the Bible, almost everybody in the Bible, everyone in the New Testament, nobody pastored a church in their own area. <laughs> you can go think about that one for a while. I mean, you know, you look at Paul and Titus and Timothy, and they all pastored places where they weren't from. They're, they're, the bigotry and nationalism had to break down. I've had people that walk up and say, you're a white monkey, you should leave. <laughs> okay, I'm a white monkey, what can I say? But you know, then there are other people that come to church and they don't want one of our pastors to pray for them. They say, no, I want the white pastor to pray for me. And you know, when people say that, I won't pray for them. If they will not receive ministry from anybody, then they, they will receive ministry from nobody. You see, bigotry and prejudice cannot be a roadblock to miracles in your life. You know, I don't care who somebody is. If God is using them, I want to be a part of the ministry. You know, if you came with me to Africa and you saw the brothers there, now I know there's some black prejudice in our own country, please, let's just get real about it. If you came to Ghana and you saw the incredible, incredible things that were happening, ah, oh, it's just it's amazing. But when I tried to tell some friends of another country nearby, and I wanted Brother Dag to do a crusade there, they, they didn't want Brother Dag because he was black. You know, sometimes you just, you know, okay, I'm bald for a reason. I pulled my hair out. Bigotry and prejudice stops people from receiving ministry. Folks, in the body of Christ, we are all equal at the foot of the cross. May I please encourage you in Jesus' name to to get the bigotry and to get the prejudice out of your insides and just look at people as sons of God. These people have an anointing of God upon their life and quit looking at the color of their skin or the slant of the eye or the size of their nose. You know, quit, quit looking at that stuff and just look at Jesus inside the person. Look at the anointing that is resting upon their lives. They say, well, all right, pastor, 
I'm a leader and I've experienced this. What do I do? Well, Jesus didn't let James and John, the sons of thunder, call down fire. You don't get mad at it. You don't fight with it. You don't war with it. What did they do? And they went on to another village, verse 56. Sometimes you just have to move on. And you minister to people who will receive the ministry, that will receive you because of Jesus in you. Now, if you'll learn that, and some of you pastors, you know, you, you're Tagalog and you go to a Cebuano area and you go, they won't, they won't accept me because I'm Tagalog, or they won't accept me in Manila because I'm Ilocano or I'm Cebuano. You know, forget the people who aren't going to accept you and just move on to people who will accept you. You know, you're, you're not going to break all the prejudices down. You're, you're not going to solve all these problems that have been in the world for millennia. You're not going to solve that. But you can focus on ministering to people that want to receive you. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. Deuteronomy chapter 16, beginning with verse 1 today. Observe the month of Ebed, 
and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. And you shall offer the Passover sacrifice to the Lord your God from the flock or the herd at the place that the Lord will choose and to make his name dwell there. Now, how many times in the last couple of days do we keep seeing this reference to Jerusalem made? The place, the place. And you're going to see it constantly coming out again today. God never intended, he never intended for that temporary tabernacle to stay like it was for 350 years, okay? He always intended for Jerusalem to be the place. But for some reason, they never got it ready. For some reason, they never sought out this place. Now, that's one of those question marks in my Bible because God keeps talking about it. And you think as much as he talked about it, somebody would get it into themselves to go and figure out what is this place that God is going to choose. Not until hundreds of years later with King David, when he conquered Jerusalem and took it from the Jebusites, does the place begin to be honored. At the place that the Lord will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat no unleavened bread in it. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. Now, I don't criticize anybody else, all right? But for me, I was going to do communion at home and tell you to get some water and get a piece of bread or something or get a piece of ensamata or whatever because they're just symbols. But then I began to remember what communion symbolizes. It has to be unleavened bread because it symbolizes the sinless Christ. There was no sin in him. Leaven is a symbol of sin. But also, the unleavened bread is the bread of affliction. You cannot remember the sacrifice, the affliction of our Savior using leavened bread. The symbols don't match. Well, you know, Pastor Summer, you're being too legalistic. Well, maybe I am, okay? But I'm also, I don't believe in, in many Protestants look upon communion as almost like a nothing. I'm not Catholic, and I don't get into the consubstantiation and the transubstantiation battle, and I don't believe it turns into the physical body and the physical blood of the Lord. Yes, I agree with that, but I also don't believe it's an unsacred thing. So I'm kind of in the middle of all of this thing, okay? So we'll have communion when we get back together in church on that very first Sunday. We'll have communion, and we'll remember everything Jesus did for us. But we'll use the cup of the juice. And we'll use the unleavened bread, the things that symbolize the sufferings and the death of our Savior. For you came out of Egypt in haste, that all the days of your life you, remember, you will remember the day that you came out of the land of Egypt. No leaven shall be seen with you in any of your territory for seven days, nor shall any of the flesh that you sacrifice on the evening of the first day remain all night until morning. Now notice, no leaven. This is why, like when Jesus said, there's a room prepared for us, he told his disciples, for that last Passover meal before his death, there had been no leaven there, no sin. It, it was, it's a beautiful thing to see what God had done. But at that place the Lord your God has given you, the Lord your choose, the, but at the place the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. Now there's that place again, Jerusalem. You shall offer the Passover sacrifice in the evening at sunset at the time that you came out of Egypt. And you shall cook it and eat it at the place that the Lord your God will choose. And in the morning you shall go to your tents. 
For six days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a solemn assembly to the Lord your God. You shall do no work on it. You shall count seven weeks. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time the sickle is first put to the standing grain. And then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with a tribute of a freewill offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. Now, from Genesis to Revelation, every time God teaches giving is based on how he has blessed you. It's never based on set amounts. It's based on how has he blessed you. This never about going in debt to fulfill an obligation to God. Please, I... When people want to give with credit cards and stuff, no. debit cards, okay. Credit cards, no. We, we never give by debt. We only give as the Lord has blessed us. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. Now, I circle the word rejoice there. Because as you begin to go through this passage, you find verse 14, rejoice. You find uh, verse 15, be all, you will be altogether joyful. When you come together to worship God, it's not everybody be quiet in the presence of God. God likes happy noise. Let me say that again. God likes happy noise. He wants rejoicing to be careful. Rejoice before the Lord your God, verse 11. And you and your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite who is within your towns, the sojourner, the followers, and the widow who are among you at the place. Now here's that place again. At the place the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. Now again, you see this again and again and again. Why did they never go look for this place until King David? You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. You shall keep the Feast of Booths seven days. When you have gathered in the produce from your threshing floor and your winepress, you shall rejoice, there's that word again, in your feast. You and your son and your daughter and your male servant and your female servant, the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who is within your towns. For seven days you shall keep the feast to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. There's that place again. At the place the Lord will choose. Because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands so that you will be altogether joyful. There's that word again. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place. There's that place again. So none of this was obeyed for almost 400 years until David. At the place the Lord your, he will choose. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, at the Feast of Booths, they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Now, there's a truth that I've always lived by. Never appear before God empty-handed. I may not have much but I will always bring something to honor God. Every man shall give as he is able now. Not giving to keep up with other people, not giving because of pride and trying to compete, but as the Lord has enabled you, according to the blessings of the Lord that he has given you. Never, ever be ashamed of your seed. Never, ever be ashamed now, God will make your seed abound. Yes, I understand that, Paul's teaching. But right now, in whatever situation you're in, you just be happy that you can sow what you can sow, that you can give what you can give, as he has blessed you. Now, now my friends, please, you've you got to get a hold of this. One of the, th This is the whole reason Jesus taught the, the beautiful story about the, the woman with the two widow mites. 
Religion always makes you look down upon your gift because it doesn't have a lot of zeros on it. God doesn't care about the zeros. He said, in accordance to how I have blessed you. Now, if God has blessed you with a gazillion pesos, then your offering should be huge with zeros. If God has blessed you with 5,000 pesos, your offering reflects that. If God has blessed you with 500 pesos, then your offering reflects that. If God has blessed you with 50 pesos, then your offering reflects that. If God has blessed you with five pesos, then your offering reflects that. But you never feel bad about it. This is, this is where I am right now. This is how God has blessed me right now. Now, yes, if you're a sower, you always want to give more. And because you have that in your heart, God will multiply your seed. God will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. And God will multiply the seed, as Paul says. But, you know, right now, don't worry about how much, just as he has blessed you. Verse 18. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God has given you, according to your tribes. And they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. And you shall not accept a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Now, folks, there's a reason we don't do bribes. Okay, a bribery blinds a wise person. A bribe blinds a wise Their wisdom is gone. They can't see things properly because they've been blinded by a bribe. A bribe is like walking up and, and just sticking a book in front of somebody's head and saying, now, make a good decision. They can't because the bribe has blinded them. This is why we don't believe in bribes. Well, you know, Pastor Samuel, I just wanted to bless them. Well, excuse me, bribes. Justice and only justice you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God has given you. Verse 21. You shall not plant any tree as an Asherah beside the altar of the Lord your God that you shall make. And you shall not set up a pillar which the Lord your God hates. He said, now listen, I don't want you to mix gods, and I don't want you to mix worship. I don't want you to mix gods, and I don't want you to mix worship. We, we don't bring, like, uh, there was a church that started bringing uh, Ifagao ritualistic dancing into their, their church services because they said this. No, that, that's how demons were worshipped. Please, this has been my home for 40 years. I, I know the rituals and the sacrifices and things that are done during those ritualistic dances up in Ephraim. You don't bring that into church. We don't mix worship, and we don't mix gods. And you shall not set up a pillar which the Lord your God hates. Now these, these pillars, these Asherah poles, I don't know how to describe them politely, so please forgive my indelicateness. It looks like a, a giant male sexual organ made out of a piece of wood. And some of these would be very large, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 feet tall. And it was to worship fertility and pray for babies. You know what? God will bless the fruit of the womb. You don't need something like that to look at. Chapter 17, verse 1. You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or sheep in which there is a blemish or any defect, whatever, for that is an abomination to the Lord your God. Now, why would God say that? I want you to understand, all of the Old Testament was a school teacher to bring us to Christ. It's full of types and shadows. The sacrifice of God's Son, which is the fulfillment of all this Old Testament stuff, the sacrifice of His Son on the cross, 
there was no blemish. There is no sin in Jesus. He was the perfect sacrifice. So yes, everything here, this is why Moses got in trouble when he struck the rock the second time. You strike it once because Jesus died once. The second time you speak to it. This is why Moses got in trouble. All of these things are types and shadows teaching us about Jesus and teaching us about the plan of salvation that was to come. Verse 2. If there is found among you within any of your towns that the Lord your God has given you, a man or a woman who does what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, in transgressing his covenant, and has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, or the sun, or the moon, or any of the host of heaven which I have forbidden, and it is told you and you hear of it, then you shall inquire diligently. Notice investigations. You don't just believe reports. You investigate diligently. And if it is true and certain that such an abomination has been done in Israel, then you shall bring out to your gates the man or the woman who has done this evil thing, and you shall stone that man or woman to death with stones. On the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. The hand of the witness shall be the first against him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Now, this is a little draconian, it looks like, but there's purposes for this. But what I want you to see right now this morning is how judgment was to be done and how justice was to be done. You never just believe one person. It has to be two or three witnesses. And then the person who comes forward as the first witness, they have to throw the first stone. That They can't just sit there and be uninvolved and throw accusations. And No, they have to be the one that participates in the death of this person. So you better think twice before you start making accusations. Verse 8. If any case arises requiring decision between one kind of homicide and another, one kind of legal right and another, or one kind of assault and another, any case within your towns that is too difficult for you, then you shall arise and go up to the place that the Lord your God will choose. Now, there's that place again, okay? There's Jerusalem again. And you shall come to the Levitical priests and the judge who is in the office in those days, and you shall consult them, and they shall declare to you the decision. Now, notice. This is the same principle that Moses followed in the, in the wilderness. The lower levels of judges, they took care of all the smaller cases, but if something was too difficult, it got bumped up. Okay, This is not like a court of appeals. This is, man, I don't know how to decide this. So this is not the appeals process. This is the justice process. This is a judgment process. Lower level says, I don't know what to do. So it gets bumped up. So finally, it's the senior judge of the nation. Then you shall do according to what they declare to you, and from that place that the Lord will choose. There's Jerusalem again. And you shall be careful to do according to all that they direct you. So in other words, if you've, if you've gone through this judicial process all the way up and found somebody who now can make a decision, then you have to do it. Now, this is more what I would call arbitration than I would call courts. All right? He said, now you have to follow this. According to the instructions that they give you and according to the decision that they pronounce to you, you shall do. In other words, you don't play the game and then just ignore it. You don't, you don't inconvenience everybody's lives through this arbitration process and then ignore it. You shall not turn aside from the verdict that they declare to you, either to the right hand or to the left. The man who acts presumptuously by not obeying the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord your God or the judge, that man shall die. 
So you shall purge the evil from Israel, and all the people shall hear and fear, and shall not act presumptuously again. Now notice, when somebody is so angry about their personal situation that they have contempt for leadership, God says, I don't want them around anymore. You can't have the attitude of total contempt for leadership decisions. You just can't have that. Verse 14. When you come to the land that the Lord your God has given you and possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you. God said, you can do this. He said, you can have a king whom the Lord your God will choose. You can't choose the king. God chooses the king. Now, this passage is what I call the law of the kings. God said, you can choose a king. You can't choose the king. You can choose to have a king. But God said, I will choose the king. One from among your own brothers you shall set up as king over you. You shall not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor will he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Now, that is almost prophetic of King Solomon. First wife he married, Pharaoh's daughter. He buys horses and chariots from Egypt and then resells them. That's how he made much of his wealth. He, he was an arms trader, so to speak. I mean, please forgive me, but that's how Solomon made a lot of his wealth, was he had access to Egypt for horses and chariots, and then he resold them to other nations. He was a, a, an arms dealer. But he built like Megiddo. We go there. That's where he housed horses. He had his, his huge stables there in Megiddo, and, and he had his chariot stationed there. These were horse and chariot cities. He built entire cities. I mean, he violated this. And then he shall not have many wives, lest his heart turn away. He, he, he broke that one, too. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Now, it's not wrong to prosper. It's not wrong to have a big palace and a house. But silver and gold, that's liquid assets. We say that again. That's liquid assets. He said, listen, I don't, I don't want the king to have a lot of liquid assets. No excessive silver or gold. We're not, we're not talking now about hard assets and, and buildings and palaces and homes. We're talking about excess cash. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear God. Now, just stop there. The first thing a king was to do when he had been selected was to get an approved Levitical copy of the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, what they call the Torah today in Israel. And the first thing that he was to do was to make his own copy, and he was to write it, copy it, word for word, jot and tittle. Why? Have you ever noticed something? That when you read, you remember this much. When you read and you write, you remember a lot more. When I was in college, I used to rewrite the notes of my class. Before I had an exam, I did not just study my notes, I rewrote my notes. 
there's something that puts it deeper on your insides. We've all done these tricks when we were kids. Now, I never found the same thing with typing, but handwriting puts things into us. They were to write for themselves a copy of the book of the law. And notice, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it, read in it all the days of his life. He should sit there and read what his own hand wrote. He should sit there and read what his own hand wrote every day. So God was telling the king, you read my words every day. That he may, number one, learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and all the statutes and doing them. Number two, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers. And number three, that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right or to the left. Number four, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Now there's the effect of reading the word of God. Reading the word of God every day causes you to respect God, causes you to obey God, causes your heart to be humble so that you don't get arrogant and lifted up among your brothers and sisters. This is the effect of reading the Bible every day. This was the law of the king. Chapter 18, verse 1. The Levitical priests, all the tribe of Levi, shall have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the Lord's food offerings as their inheritance. They shall have no inheritance among their brothers. In other words, we don't have secular work. As he promised them. And this shall be the priest's due from the people, from who, who's those offering a sacrifice, whether an ox or sheep. They shall give to the priest the shoulder and the two cheeks and the stomach. The first fruits of your grain and of your wine and of your oil and the first fleece of your sheep you shall give him. For the Lord your God has chosen him out of all your tribes to stand and minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons for all time. And if a Levite comes from any of your towns of all Israel where he lives, and he may come when he desires to the place that the Lord will choose. Now there's that place again, that's Jerusalem, the temple. And he ministers in the name of the Lord his God, like all his fellow Levites who stand and minister there before the Lord that he may have equal portions to eat besides what he receives from the sale of his patrimony. This is the law of the king and the law of the Levites. All right. We've had a wonderful time reading the Bible today. Now, we'll be moving into Joshua pretty quickly and we'll be out of all the law. But, but I pray that as we've been going through the book of Deuteronomy, you're beginning to understand God hasn't changed. There are types and symbols that point us forward to Jesus. But a lot of the practical wisdom of it it's the same because God doesn't change. Father, let your hand rest upon all of your people today. As those have to leave, Father, to go out to be frontliners, I thank you for the angels that you've given charge concerning them to guard them in all their way. And for those that stay at home today, I thank you for the shield of your faithfulness that surrounds their home. No plague shall come near their dwelling. Health and wholeness in Jesus' name. God bless you. We'll see you tonight for service at 7 o'clock.